Good morning, Chapel Hill. Go ahead and get your Bibles out, open up your Bible apps, and if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you don't have one with you this morning, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers are coming right now with Bibles that you can use uh, to follow along in today, and we'll let you know where we're going. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you don't currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive and take it with you and dig into it. Um, I want to talk for just a couple minutes about yesterday and uh, the fact that we had uh, Deb Jordan's funeral here in this space yesterday. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you to all those of you who helped out yesterday, who helped host and and provide a a very encouraging, comforting environment for all those who were here yesterday. Um, Thank you for that. Thank you for the fast turnover in this room. Again, uh, received lots of comments about how efficient we are. Um, Thank you for for loving on that family and for encouraging and comforting each other in the midst of uh, a difficult loss for us. Um, Deb has uh, been with us for a long time. She was here before I got here. She was on the uh, the team that first interviewed me to work at this church, and we started there. And one of the things that, probably the most significant thing that came out of our relationship, mine with Debs, um, was our shared love for the Word of God. And uh, and I'm going to miss that. Deb knew the truth. It's the truth that set her free. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I ask that you would keep her family in your prayers. My heart is very heavy for several people in her life who need the truth. Please pray for them with me. Pray that God's truth gets through to them. Okay, I gotta change my <laughs> my train of thought here. So let's talk about food. Because <laughs> there's a lot of food left over from yesterday. And I'm not just making this up randomly, but there is a lot of food left over from yesterday. And what we're going to do after the service is we're going to put that food out in the lobby. And if you want a, a quick and free lunch, um, just go and grab some food from out in the lobby. There's a whole bunch of sandwiches and salads and all kinds of different stuff that's left from yesterday. So please help yourself on the way out. All right. Um, <clears throat> last week, we looked at Jesus' very powerful statement when he said, I am the light of the world. We can't miss or ignore the fact that Jesus is speaking into Israel's history. Thousands of years. When Jesus spoke those words at the close of the Feast of Booths, when a candelabra had been lit acknowledging God's illumination, he spoke into history. He spoke as if he was standing in Moses' place, leading God's people into freedom. He was the pillar of fire in the wilderness that led Israel to the promised land. That light was God's light. 
And now Jesus claims his rightful place and that title as the light of the world. Today's passage is filled with more of Jesus' words. He pushes the people there in the temple courtyard to commit to the truth about who he is. And remember that the words we looked at last week spoken by Jesus resulted in something really positive. John 8 verse 30 showed us that many people believed in Jesus. He had spoken of being the light of the world and many believed that what he said was true. But that's going to change in today's passage. So let's look at what comes next. Turn to John chapter 8 verse 31. We're going to read to the end of chapter 8 today, and then we're going to step aside from the book of John for a few weeks, and we're going to celebrate the Christmas season together. And let me give you a little preview of what's coming for the Christmas season. We're going to focus on the subject of peace. Jesus was introduced to the world by the angels when they declared peace on earth. He was prophesied as the Prince of Peace by Isaiah. Yet peace seems so elusive sometimes. Where is that peace on earth? We're going to explore that for a while. I want us to end up very hopeful as we walk through the Christmas season together. I want us to experience and practice peace as a result of this series that we're going to do. I want us to understand what Jesus was shooting for when he came declaring peace, but declaring peace in some ways and conflict in other ways. Jesus invited us into his peace. He left that peace here for us when he returned to heaven. I think all of us want to experience that peace. And so I invite you to be here throughout the season. Plan to invite someone that you know who could use some peace in their life. Beyond just the Christmas program, we want them here for that, and they're going to hear about that. It's the theme of the musical as well. Everything ties together beautifully, and the only thing I'm still confused about is who approved us having goats. I didn't know about the goats, so we'll, we'll get to that later, Scott. <clears throat> This Christmas season, we're going to explore the gift that Jesus gave us. He wants us to experience peace. So how do we get there? How do we experience that? All right, now let's read a bit. This is a fairly long passage. And it goes from encouraging to stressful and then to really tense. And we'll cover all of it, but then end at the beginning and look at some very encouraging words spoken by Jesus. So this is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. And it says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you, will, you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works 
your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell, you that because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, so this is not your typical plot. There will not be a Hallmark movie made out of this particular story. (laughs) What starts out so positively turns so bad so quickly that we're left with a little whiplash here. It seems like things were going so well. Many people believed in Jesus following his words about being the light of the world. And these are the people that he addresses now. But they go from believing to attempted murder in a very short period here. What happened? So I gave this message the title, Passwords, for a reason. It has to do with Jesus' statement in verses 31 and 32. Jesus offers his listeners freedom. How generous is that? He offers it to us as well. His words are the passwords that unlock freedom for you and me. You remember playing freeze tag as a kid? You got tagged and you were stuck. And it took someone else's effort to come and free you. 
In the first few verses of our passage, we get a picture like that. Jesus knows that we're going to get tagged by this world. But he offers to be that person that runs to you and sets you free. His truth is what he offers as the passwords for our release. We're going to come back to this promise at the end of the message, but we have quite a mess to work through first here. So let's look at this in their context. The people Jesus was addressing were the people that had believed in him. And this clearly was not enough to set them on the path of being disciples of Jesus. Jesus made it clear that if they were to abide, if they were to stay, if they were to remain in his word, they would be his disciples. And it's hard to ignore the fact that their belief was not enough to move them in the direction of following Jesus. That belief didn't automatically make them disciples. This is important for us to see. It's not that one-time point of believing in Jesus that makes us his disciples. Being Jesus' disciple is a journey. We want to see people reach that point of belief. That's important. It's critical. But more than that, we want to see people following Jesus. My desire for us as a church is to see every one of us following Jesus. We're to abide in his word. We're to seek out and embrace and practice the truth that Jesus teaches us. That's when we're disciples. We'll come back to that in a while. First, we need to wade through some mud. Jesus said in verse 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, what's your reaction to that? Doesn't it sound incredible? There's a promise here, and it's a promise from God. He offers us freedom, and he'll explain very soon what we're being delivered from. And this is so encouraging to us, at least to me, and I hope to all of us. But Jesus' words were received very differently by the people that were listening to him that day. It's as if they were hearing a different language than what we're hearing. And it reminded me of a story that, of something that happened um, when I was at college. My wife and I were attending Bethany College of Missions over in Bloomington. And we were part over there of a work-study program. So we went to class in the morning, and in the afternoon we worked on campus. And that's how we paid for our schooling. Um, we supported what was happening there. They had a big piece of property. And my job at that time was working on the grounds maintenance crew. I was the head gardener there. And uh, we... <laughs> We were out taking care of the, the grounds one day, and um, there's, there's a crew out working on the lawns. And um, they had big riding mowers, and, and there were push mowers and string trimmers and all the equipment that they needed to do this. Now, one of the things you have to understand about Bethany is that it has a very large international student component to it. Lots of students from different places. And so this interaction took place between two students. One of them was running the lawn crew that day. His name was Jamie, and he was riding on a big riding mower, and he pulled up to this crew that was working on string trimmer and hand stuff, and um, he needed to talk to one of the guys on that part of the crew, and so he pulled up. He didn't shut off his big mower. He looked at the guy that he needed to talk to and, and just signaled for him to come over. And the guy that he signaled to was a guy named Yang Bo, and he is from China. And this means something very different in China. And what Jamie told 
Yang Bo was, you and I are going to fight right now. <laughs> and things got really tense because they interpreted that in two very, very different ways. And I feel like that's what was happening here. We hear Jesus saying this, saying that the truth will set us free, and we hear one thing, and the Jews that were listening to Jesus heard something very different. In our passage, I hear Jesus offering me freedom. The Jews listening to Jesus heard Jesus insulting them. Freedom was a ridiculous idea. They, as they said, had never been slaves to anyone. And so there's some irony happening here and, and obviously a pride issue. So since their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, something that we've been talking about quite a bit, the nation of Israel had fallen into slavery a few more times. They had been enslaved by Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Syria, and Rome. They really couldn't say that they had never been enslaved to anyone. And so Jesus makes it clear in verse 34 that he's talking about the spiritual realm and that the slavery he was talking about was slavery to sin. And here comes some more toe crushing by Jesus. He tells them that they're not free but are slaves to sin. He says that it's the son who can set them free and he says that as slaves, they don't have the right to remain in God's house like the son does. So they need the son to set them free. He basically told them that they are not God's children. Contrary to what they believed, they do not have permanent rights to God's household. But he does. And I can picture the Jews that were there getting very anxious. This is not the kind of words that they were willing to follow or even tolerate. The heritage fight has begun. And in verse 37, Jesus states that he knows that they are offspring of Abraham. And now he's going to show them that it is essential that they follow him if they truly are children of God. He points out that rather than follow him, they have plans in their hearts to kill him. Jesus declares that his words find no place in them. This literally means that his word does not advance in them. It does not take root in them. And we can recall the parable of the sower sowing seeds and how some of the seeds fell on, on the path or on shallow soil. This is an example of what Jesus meant in that parable. His word didn't advance in them. It didn't take root in them. In verse 38, Jesus compares his relationship with his father to their relationship with their father but he doesn't yet reveal who he believes their father to be. That statement is going to hurt. He just points out that they do what they hear from their father, and so they clarify for him, Abraham is our father. Jesus says essentially, then do what he would do. Jesus knew that they wanted in their hearts to kill him, which Abraham would never have wanted to do, so he continues pointing out to them that they're not really Abraham's children. They are very proud of their claim to Abraham's lineage, rightfully so. Abraham had extraordinary faith. He was a great leader. He had God's favor and had been promised by God that his descendants would bless the whole world. God had affirmed his approval of Abraham throughout the New Testament. 
In Paul's letter to Rome, the entire fourth chapter focused on Abraham and his faith. Paul had written about Abraham's blessing in Galatians 3 as well. It was a a valuable connection. But as Jesus points out, their behavior did not in any way reflect what Abraham would have done with Jesus. It does reflect what their father is asking of them. Still, Jesus has not directly said who he thinks their father is. They go on the attack in verse 41. They insult Jesus. We were not born of sexual immorality. It's a shot at Jesus and his history. They knew he was born to a woman, to Mary, who had gotten pregnant outside of wedlock, and so they get mean. They claim God as their father. I'm sure they were recalling Exodus 4.22 where it says, where God says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. But Jesus points out that if they were God's son, they would love him. But they're far from God and they don't hear his voice and so they won't accept Jesus' words. And then Jesus leans in to throw another close proximity punch. In verse 44 he says, you are of your father, the devil. This is not Jesus being mean. Jesus is actually being very patient and compassionate here but he needs them to see the truth that they don't want to see. Jesus then explains who their father is in verse 44. He says, Satan is a murderer. There's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. So when he speaks, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar. And I'm sure that sat really well with them. But Jesus presses on. Why don't they believe him? They can't convict him of any sin. He hasn't committed any. Why don't they believe the truth that he's speaking Well, it doesn't help that they are not of God. Just try to imagine the anger in the hearts of these Jews at that moment. They only heard what they thought were lies. I remember a time in high school when my father was falsely accused of some things by someone in the leadership of his church who simply didn't like him. So he made up some lies about him. And those lies were presented in front of our whole church during a service. My reaction was not good. I punched the pew in front of me. I kicked out a fence in the parking lot. And I was ready to attack the man who made those false accusations about my dad. But he was lying. And Jesus is telling the truth about their father, the devil, and they heard nothing but lies, and they were mad. So they attacked. They claimed that they were right in believing that he was a demon-possessed Samaritan. There was some background to their accusation. The Samaritans, who were descendants of the Jews, questioned the Jews' claim to be descendants of Abraham. Maybe that's what they were referring to when they insulted Jesus. Maybe it was an insult connected to Jesus' illegitimate birth. Maybe they put him together with the unclean, undesirable Samaritans in general. Basically, they just called them names. Jesus calmly stated that he did not have a demon. He said that he honored God and they dishonored him. If he had a demon, he could not possibly honor God. 
Then Jesus throws them off again in verse 51. He starts with a statement, truly, truly, again. It means that what he's saying is really important. He lets them know that if anyone keeps his words, they will never see death, and they flip on him again. But I don't want us to miss what Jesus is doing here. I want you to think about this. At this point in the conversation, if it was me or you saying these things to the Jews there, wouldn't we have just walked away? Wouldn't we have just written them off at that point and gone, you know what, just, you just die in your sin, I'm out of here. I'm not wasting my time on you. You've insulted me. You won't hear my words. I'm done with you. But even at this point in the conversation, Jesus has compassion on them and he invites them yet again into his saving truth. Still no eyes open, no hearts change, no ears truly hear. They claim that they know now that he definitely is possessed. They let him know that he is not greater than their father Abraham. Even he died and the prophets died. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Jesus responds by telling them that he isn't the source of his own words and mission. God is. God owns the glory. And he repeats that they don't know God. He does know God. He's not going to lie to them and say that he doesn't. And Jesus brings Abraham back into the conversation again. What Jesus knew and they didn't know was that Abraham would have rejoiced and was rejoicing to see Jesus' day come. Abraham knew that he pointed to the Messiah in his lifetime. And now the Messiah had come. And another swing and a miss by the Jews. You've seen Abraham, but you're not even 50 years old yet. And that was it for Jesus. Enough was enough. It was time to just say it. Verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And honestly, if it was Jesus saying that, standing up here and saying that right now, every one of us would fall out of our seats. Because Jesus said the words that were considered to be very holy. These were sacred words belonging only to God. He said truly, truly again. This was indeed very important. And Jesus just declared himself to be God. I am was a statement of the timeless nature of God. Jesus did not say that he was born before Abraham. He did not say that he lived longer than Abraham or before Abraham's time. He did not compare himself to Abraham on any human level. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. I always was, I always will be, I am eternal, I am God, I am. 
And no human being on the planet would ever utter those words. If they did, they were immediately viewed as making themselves equal to God, and that was blasphemy. And here are the Jews now, people who were seemingly passionate about God and so vigilant about condemning blasphemy, condemning God now for blaspheming God. They jumped to action. The sentence had been passed without anyone saying a word. It was time to execute the offender. So they picked up stones, ready to unload their indignation on Jesus until his heart stopped beating. And and almost casually, John writes without any explanation whatsoever that Jesus hid himself and left the temple. And remember that Jesus was at the center of a large crowd in the temple courtyard. There was no way that he could just have simply hid behind something and sneaked out. He just left, unseen, supernaturally. It was not his time. I am was not finished with what he had come to do. All right, church, can we talk about freedom for a moment? We know that Jesus was talking about slavery to sin, not slavery to another nation or anything like that. Honestly, I'll take that kind of slavery over slavery to sin. We need freedom. We need freedom. Slavery to sin comes from a willful decision to sin and give in to sin's power in our lives. The kind of slavery that sin brings comes from sin's ability to lie to us and convince us that sin isn't sin. Satan is a liar, and far too often we buy his lies. Think about how it all started. Satan comes to Eve in the garden, and he says, did God really say? He lied. He deceived, and he hasn't stopped deceiving ever since. And his words sound something like this. Go ahead, it's just you doing it on your own. You're not hurting anyone. Hey, you can control this, you'll be fine. This is no big deal. Don't let your fake guilt prevent you from doing something for yourself. You deserve this. You have to look out for yourself. Hey, there's a bigger price for not doing this than there is for doing it. Go ahead. Tells us that God can't satisfy us. We have to take care of ourselves. He tells us that God doesn't really care. And if he does, he'll forgive us anyway. He tells us that our needs can be met through the things of this world, which happens to be his kingdom. He deceives us into thinking that he cares about us in some way. He lies and deceives and tempts and lies again and misleads us and persuades us and blinds us and lies and lies and lies. And the end result is us locked onto the other end of the handcuffs that are attached to sin. That's slavery. What we thought we could control now controls us. Sin now has the power that we thought was ours. I don't want to be that slave. 
And I know you don't either. And to add to his deception, Satan works to convince us that we're not slaves. He says we're fine. He tells us that we don't need to listen to God and his words. Satan tries to convince us that being free of God is good for us. So we stop listening to Jesus and his words. And we get deceived into thinking that just because we're not abiding in the word of Jesus, we're still okay. We're free. When in reality, we've chosen the deceptive slavery to sin over the intentional abiding in Jesus' words. And Satan smiles and whispers, gotcha. And all the while, Jesus invites us to be free. And all it takes is an intentional decision to follow daily, moment by moment. It's a decision to belong. We belong to Jesus. Because if we don't, we're not free. We belong to Satan. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't ignore this promise from Jesus. Freedom from slavery to sin is an incredible thing. We are free to enjoy and inherit all that God has for his children But this promise comes with a condition. If, if we abide, remain, stay in the word of Jesus and walk with him as his disciples, we will be free. And we will know the truth and that truth will set us free. I don't want to give in to the lies. I don't want to be blinded by the deception I don't want the guilt or the shame. I I don't want to hurt myself or others. I don't want to feel empty all the time or any time at all. I don't want to feel that I have no choice but to give in to the power of sin. I want the freedom that Jesus offers. Church, this is one of the biggest reasons why we dig in so deeply to the word of God. It's truth. And that truth will set us free. The great I am will set us free through the words of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. I invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. Let's close our time together. Will you pray with me as they come? Father, I ask this morning that you would, you would open our eyes to see what's going on around us, that we would see and not ignore the fact that Satan is running around in his kingdom here, lying and deceiving, luring people into slavery to sin, luring us sometimes into slavery to sin. God, I pray that you would help us to see very, very clearly 
that the key to unlocking that slavery, the passwords that set us free, are the words of Jesus Christ, spoken by you through him. Your words, truth. And help us to see that you have invited us to remain in those words, to stay there, to get comfortable in your words, to listen well, to absorb what we hear, to let it take root in our lives, to practice truth, to practice freedom. I thank you that it is not your intent that we remain slaves here in our time on this wor- in this world. But it is for freedom that you have set us free. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead this church, that you would lead all of us as individuals to a place of a much deeper abiding in your word. That we will read, that we will listen to your spirit, that we will talk to you, that we will take your words and put them into practice, knowing full well that it means freedom for us And as your word goes out from us, it means freedom for others. God, I pray that if there are those in this room this morning who are are bound to sin right now, who are losing that battle and are well aware of the fact that they're slaves to sin right now, I ask that you would deliver them in the name of Jesus Christ that you would lead them into freedom through your truth. That that message of freedom would go out from this place loudly and clearly. And that we would have the kind of compassion for the people around us that Jesus had for those Jews who were listening to him, who argued so long with him, who called him names, who attacked him, But still to the very end, he offered them that choice. He offered them freedom. God, I thank you for the freedom that you've given us. That here in the midst of Satan's kingdom, we can live free. As we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. When this will become once again your kingdom. And we will all live in freedom for the rest of eternity. Come, Lord Jesus. This morning we declare together as we end our time here, we declare that you are the great I am. That there is no one else who can speak those words about themselves. There is no one else who has existed forever and will exist forever. There's only you. You have all the power. You hold the truth. You hold life. We acknowledge this morning that that's who you are and that you are the only one who can set us free. 
Thank you for that freedom. For the one who made it possible. For Jesus Christ, your son. We pray this in his precious and holy name. Amen.